Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Now starting a quarterback for your favorite team, Tom Brady? Tom Brady is being traded. Is that breaking news? No, it's not. Why is his house for sale? Why is Alex Guerrero's house for sale? Coincidence, that's his trainer. Wherever he goes, his trainer goes. We can talk about that another time. Maybe he's the fountain of youth trainer. But does it mean, as people are speculating and panicking in New England, that Tom Brady, because he put his house up for sale with his wife, Giselle, wants to play for a new team. He is going to be a free agent. He can opt out of his contract. But since when does putting a house for sale and your trainer's house for sale guarantee that you're going to be on a different team? If I'm Tom Brady, I want to end my career exactly where I started it. I want to end with a Super Bowl victory, and I want absolutely nothing to do with another team. So all of the panic that's going on, forget about it. My focus tonight is very simple, though. It's not on football. It's going to be a little on basketball. We're going to talk about it. But it is World Series Game 1. This is what we've been waiting for since spring training. It's what the players think about when you report to spring training back in February. February, when the weather was good or getting good in the South, you want to play in the World Series. And for the Washington Nationals tonight, is the culmination of a 50-year journey. Like before any of the players were born. The World Series, Nationals, Astros. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this series in a way that we can really break it down for everyone to understand. Because what you're hearing about is a lot of pitching. And you're hearing about one of the great pitching matchups, maybe of all time, in the history of the World Series. Debatable, but certainly current day. I can't remember being more excited about Garrett Cole against Max Scherzer. These are two pitchers who are the best in their respective leagues. I could argue that Cole is going to win the Cy Young. I think DeGrom will win it in the National League, not Scherzer, but Scherzer is a multi-year Cy Young winner. He has playoff experience, but what he's doing tonight, he is going in as a major road dog. That's not normal for Max Scherzer, and that shows you how good Garrett Cole is. But when you're breaking down this series, you have to think to yourself, what are actually sort of the keys to this series? And how can we break it down in very simple terms? Number one, at the end of every day, get out a piece of paper and a pen and write down. Does anyone still use paper and pen? Get out a paper and pen and write down the number of innings that the starting pitcher pitched. So if they go five innings, put a five down. If they go seven and a third, put seven Point three three. That's a third. Add them up. At the end of the series, whichever starting pitching unit has pitched more innings, that team is going to win the World Series. So key number one, how long do the starting pitchers go? Key two, have a lot of fear. I'm talking about like Blair Witch Project type fear. The type of fear that keeps you up at night about whether and who will be the slumping offensive players. 
in a series of seven games, no matter what, every year, every series, there will be players who are one for 10, one for 20, like there were in the LCS. Alvarez, one for 25. Bregman was two for something. I should have that information. It should be right there in my ear saying Bregman was two for 19, but it's not. Who will be the offensive players to fail this World Series? Will it be more on the Astros or more on the Nats? Whoever slumps the most, that team, even with his pitching, its pitching, will have a very hard time winning the World Series. Number three, I want to talk about position players, specific guys and the pressure they feel in this series, and then who responds to that pressure. Number one, Steven Strasburg. He's pitching for dollars. He has $100 million over four years left on his contract, but he can opt out. And when your agent is Scott Boris, what Scott Boris is doing right now, he's calling all 29 teams and finding out, even the Astros, don't kid yourself, he's speaking to the Astros, and finding out what will you offer Strasburg. Will you give him seven years? Will you give him 210 over seven? Nobody will do that. He's got a Tommy John already. Will you give him 101 million over four? That's a million more than he's due. If he gets 101 million over four, he's switching teams. So Steven Strasburg has a lot of pressure because any sort of good performance in this World Series is a benefit to both Boris and Strasburg. Interesting, Cole is another Boris client and Cole is not pitching against Strasburg because why would you ever have Mr. Boris rooting for two people against each other? Maybe root for a zero-zero tie? Garrett Cole is pitching for free agent dollars. There are rumors that he could get over $250 million. Dodgers, Angels, with Joe Madden may want to bring in a number one starter. Three, Anthony Rendon. Anybody have anything in common? Yes, yes, it's a Boris client. Third baseman, MVP candidate, free agent. This is a bonanza. We're talking like getting extensions on his mansion type of bonanza for Mr. Boris. Why? He's got the best players going into free agency. And what does Rendon do? If he continues to have the type of postseason he's having with a tiny little cherry of a World Series MVP, he may just all of a sudden be the new Bryce Harper. He may not try to beat Arenado's 260 million from last year, the Rockies. He may go for Harper's 330. So how do these players who have this type of financial pressure, and Anthony Rendon is famous for saying, my heart beats 40. I'm not thinking about any of that stuff. All free agents say the same thing, and it always makes me smile. They say, no, we're not thinking about the money. We're very focused on this game. That's not true. Anytime you're in a clubhouse talking to players, they know exactly when they're gonna become free agents. They know exactly what their arbitration number is if they're not free agents yet. They know exactly their statistics, more so than they know their team records, more so than they know any other stats or analytics. They know exactly what their salary is, they know what everyone else is getting paid. So it is in their mind. Some players are actually able to tune that out, take the field, and perform. Other players are become overwhelmed by the specter of free agency or whether they're going to be traded at the trade deadline or whether they're going to be actually offered a contract in arbitration. It becomes overwhelming to them and they fade under pressure. What I'm watching for in this series is what will happen to the players who are under the most pressure. So we start with game one.
The cough button doesn't really work when you're on HQ, does it? The keys to game one, out of the shoot. What do you talk about when you're the front office to your team? When you're in Washington, you're not thinking just game one. You're thinking two games in Houston, games one and two. You've got to get one of the first two. You're looking at facing Cole and then Verlander. You know Cole has not lost since May. You know Verlander in the playoffs is a bulldog, but if you get to him in the first inning, there's actually a chance you can score four runs like when he lost to the Yankees in game number five in the LCS. So the mentality of the Nationals is get one of the first two games. Don't panic if you don't win game one against Cole, which means actually their sort of pressure has been lifted. It's not as outrageous as you think it is. To me, the pressure is squarely on Houston in game one and Garrett Cole to continue his run of pitching. It's unprecedented to me. If he goes two more starts and maybe a third appearance, one out of the bullpen late in the series if it goes long, and he does not lose a game and the Astros do not lose a game, all I keep thinking about is cha-ching. But in addition, he will have done something that escapes my mind as something even possible to do to be that effective for that long. So the Astros have more pressure. They're two to one favorites in this game, but they've got to win a cold start because if they don't win a cold start, then all of a sudden you're looking at Verlander having to beat Strasburg tomorrow just to get a split in the first two games at home. Does it matter who feels the pressure? Does it matter for Garrett Cole and for the Washington Nationals? I say no. I say the Astros are the better team. We're going to talk about later in the show what my picks are, both for the series and for tonight's game. But where I'm telling you right now, as you're watching tonight, when you're watching the World Series, you'll have about hopefully under three and a half hours, maybe, focus on the pitchers and focus on Anthony Rendon and how they do in their game today. This will set the stage for the entire World Series. It should be beyond incredible. And I personally cannot wait to watch every single pitch of this series. You know, I, I, I tell you, I am excited for the World Series. And last night was an off night. And so I got to watch some football. I, is, I, do you call it football? When the Patriots beat the Jets 33-0? Were the Jets playing football? I actually didn't think they were. I thought they were so outmaneuvered and outclassed. The level of talent is so different that it staggers me. So here's exactly what's going on when you're the Jets and you're sort of their front office and you're going into a Patriots game. You know you're getting 10 points. You feel as though you can compete. You've got a new head coach, Adam and uh, I was going to say Adam Gaze, but I know it's Adam Gase. And he's this new coach. He came from Miami where he wasn't successful at all. And he came in with this notion that the Jets can be good again. They have not made the playoffs since 2011. And you're facing a team like the Patriots who they psych you out from minute one. Bill Belichick comes in and you just know you are being outcoached. And last night, my favorite part of the game, it was over. I mean, as you know, when you listen to yesterday's podcast, I told you to take the 10 points, which means you should have taken New England. So you already knew you were winning your, your nightly bet from nothing personal. So I'm watching and there's a punt. The Patriots are punting with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And what you do is when you are, they were like on the 40 yard line of the Jets. So you really take a delay of game, get moved back five yards in order to try to get a better angle to pin the 
uh, receiving team deep into its own territory. So time runs out, yellow flag, delay of game, and the Jets decline. That's a new thing that happens now over the last couple of years is the team, is the receiving team say, you know what? I'm not giving you the five yards. And Bill Belichick said, I don't care. I don't want the five yards on that. Watch this one, Adam. So they line up for the punt. And the next thing you know is you've got a false start, a purposeful false start because Belichick wanted the five yards. So Adam Gase declines it again. Bill Belichick laughs. Adam Gase doesn't laugh. The game was a complete disaster for Sam Darnold and for the Jets. Wait till you hear what Darnold had to say after this game. For me, um, I just got to see the field a lot better. That's kind of what that means. And, um, you know, just it was it was a rough day out there, rough night out there. And obviously I got to be better and learn from the mistakes. Uh, but we, we will get better. Obviously, that was brutal. We just didn't. We didn't do anything right. All three phases, we were bad. It was just bad performance. Can't play that play that way against these guys unless it'll look like that, and it's not good. We got a lot of work to do. What a cop-out. What an absolute cop-out. We were bad in all three phases. What is that, offense, defense, special teams? What about coaching? Why not pull the hat a little bit higher above your head so I can see your eyes? Yeah, the same eyes I saw at your opening press conference. I want to know exactly what you're going to do to become a better coach. Don't blame the front office. Don't blame Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was seen ghosts. How the hell could he be expected to have a good game? He didn't even know who to throw to. Although, what's strange is what I would have told him during the game is he was wearing green. He kept throwing to the guys in white. Maybe he thought they were ghosts. Maybe he thought the Jets were in the home white. Some of his interceptions were absolutely impossible to understand. So after the game, he actually said, uh, it was like I was seeing ghosts. What do you not want to hear as the owner of a team that your starting mononucleotic quarterback says after a game, I was seeing ghosts? Well, it could be ghosts of Christmas past. It could be ghosts of winning's future. My guess is it's the ghosts of a horrific present that has no chance of turning around. The Jets are in the middle of their eighth or ninth straight awful season with no end in sight. The new coach they hired has not done his job. I'm not sure why they thought he could do his job after what happened with the Miami Dolphins, although you could argue the Jets thought the Miami Dolphins' dysfunction would inure to the benefit of the New York Jets. When it turns out, it's matching dysfunction, and you are seeing the results on the field. He was not staying at the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, folks. He was not in Orlando, Florida, in the Haunted Mansion. He was on the field with an organization that has outplayed them historically and since 2011 completely. It puts the M in mismatch, mismatch, not the G in ghost. What am I going to watch tonight? I've got so many opportunities. It's the World Series. I'm so angry right now because NBA opening night is the same time as the MLB World Series game one. Now, I know the reason why that's the case, but let's talk as a fan first. I'm furious. I, it's DVR proof sports. That's why sports teams are worth so much and why organizations and networks pay so much to get these live sporting events because you can't DVR a sporting event unless you want to get off Twitter 
get off all your social media and not talk to any one of your friends or relatives or acquaintances. If you miss an episode and you haven't binged something, you just say, hey, I haven't binged it, I'll get to that again. Live sporting events, you can't do it. But they're on at the same time. I can't watch two things at once, and if I end up going back and forth, I end up watching none of either. Instead of all of one, some of both, I end up watching nothing of either. So what I do, here's my approach. I pick one sport that will be my principal watch of the night. With Scherzer against Cole, and it's been in the World Series, I'm gonna watch the World Series as my principal show. However, I'm gonna watch the tip-off of the NBA first game, which is Pelicans-Raptors, because I wanna watch Zion play. Yeah, oh, someone's in my ear. Zion's out six to eight weeks? <laughs> of course I knew that. How despondent is Turner right now and the NBA that the Pelicans are on opening night against the Raptors. But at least I will get to watch Leonard help the Raptors defend their title. But no, he's not. Sorry. It turns out that Leonard's not on the Raptors either. So it turns out the Pelicans-Raptors game. Okay, cancel that. I'm not going to turn to the Pelicans-Raptors game. I'm going to watch tip-off only to say I saw the NBA tip-off. Then I'm going to watch the World Series. Then... The 10.30 game is awfully exciting. Lakers-Clippers, the new power foursome. You've got Davis and LeBron in Los Angeles against Leonard and George. Yes, what a perfect... Yeah, no? George is hurt? Okay, all right. It's just LeBron and Davis against Leonard. The Clippers, the team that's supposed to be favored to actually win the title against the new look Lakers starting at 10.30 at night, tonight. Who's watching a game starting at 10.30 if you're on the East Coast? Why are they doing that? Yeah, no, here's why. They want superstars to be in the Eastern time zone. They want superstars to be on the Knicks. They want the Knicks to perform better. You think it's a mistake that the Knicks won the lottery and got Patrick Ewing? It's better for the league to have an East Coast time zone team performing. When you've got the Lakers and the Clippers as the two biggest attractions, I'm sleeping. I'm trying to get like a stage of REM and it's not even halftime. How can I be attracted to a Lakers-Clippers rivalry when I'm barely going to see any of the games? This is a problem for the NBA. It's not like baseball where the games last forever and you can sort of just ease into it over 162 games. I want to get right into it. The playoff race starts tonight, game one. This is a battle for L.A. that the NBA needs to be cared about by people who live outside of L.A. Now, Kevin Durant, he's a superstar who went to the Nets. He's hurt. Steph Curry's on the West Coast. There's a huge bias. The ultimate, right? Michael Jordan was in the mid, in the central time zone. Not bad. We're showing you a bunch of 76ers players. That's not attractive to the NBA. They may be favored with the Bucks. The Bucks are a small market team. They're trying to market Giannis. They need the free agents, the LeBrons of the world, the Davises of the world, they need and want them on the East Coast or they've got to find a way to get those games earlier because I'm tired. I'm so frustrated just thinking about it right now. Thinking about the fact that I have to choose what to watch, that I have to choose all season long who my favorite NBA team is. I love the NBA. I've been a fan of the Knicks since the beginning of time. 
I, I was five years old in 1973 when they won the title. It was the greatest moment of my sports life in 1994. I actually enjoyed the 1994 finals and getting to the finals for the Knicks more than anything I accomplished in baseball because being a fan is the greatest. It's the emotion of it all. And I take that all incredibly seriously, what it means to actually be a fan and how it is that our job is to cater to fans. And when I'm in baseball, we try to do so many different initiatives to help the fan. And I always try to explain that three and a half, four and a half hour games, games starting at 1030 at night, that is not helpful to anyone. That is not how we're going to grow the game, both in the United States and internationally. There has to be more thought going in, but I was always told that we answer to networks, and we answer to networks because we answer to money. That's why the World Series is going up against opening night of the NBA. It's not like the leagues get together and look at their calendars and schedules, but they should because every ship rises with the tide. And don't you think it would be a whole lot better if we could all watch everything we wanted to watch and not have to make a choice like we have to make tonight? It's just not going to happen that way. That's the unfortunate reality of sports. And believe me, they're plenty upset about Zion Williamson. That's a major problem for the NBA. It's a major problem not just for them. It's also uh, for the league. They're trying to promote these young players. He's supposed to be a rookie of the year. The NBA draft is a huge moneymaker for the National Basketball Association. And, you know, we cover it very much on in C in CBS Sports, just like the NFL draft. And when you're number one, one, meaning first pick in the first round, the best player in college, when he goes to a team, it was a huge deal who would win the lottery. That's, you sell ads to that, you make money, it becomes a full program on TV. The New Orleans Pelicans end up getting the lottery. And what's interesting to me when I think about Zion is I watched him play at Duke and I was always worried about his body. We do projection a lot in baseball because you're drafting 16 year olds internationally and 18 year olds out of high school. So we spend a lot of time on bodies and we try to, and it's not just that we're imagining, we don't actually download an app, you know the app on your phone that ages you, your face? No, we don't do that. We actually project what the bodies are gonna be like, what their power is gonna be like in baseball. In basketball, you're doing the same thing. You are trying to imagine, is this player done growing? Is this player have a chance to get faster? Does he have a chance to be a better defender? Are his arm span, his wingspan gonna get longer? And with Zion, you saw shades of brilliance in the preseason. Everyone gets excited. The NBA actually starts to do marketing initiatives around Zion. And then what happens? Of course what happens? He hurt his knee. And when you hurt your knee and you're Zion Williamson, red flags go up. If it's another player with a knee injury, you actually feel to yourself, you know what, I believe there can be a recovery here. But when you look at Zion's body and what he does to his knees, the spring, if you look at him, it's like he's got springs inside his knees. So when you've got springs like that, you actually are using your knees to get the hops, right? My vertical leap is, I just did this before the show, my vertical leap is about two to three inches. So the springs in my knees are rusted and cracked, and like when you touch them, they break. Zion springs, he can jump two to three feet, maybe even more. I wasn't at the combine. I'm gonna say he can jump higher than three feet. But in order to do that, you bend your knees, you need him. So what happens? He's had bad knees before, he has bad knees again. All of his weight is on his knees. So when you're looking at shoe deals, deals, 
New Orleans is looking at sponsorship deals around building their young team. The NBA is looking at making Zion a star. They're looking at all these things. Can you imagine? Do you guys remember a uh, a player named Greg Oden? He was a, a, a 1-1 pick, never made it. You're not guaranteed to make it. He got hurt. He hurt his foot. Big guys hurt their feet. Bill Walton, the big redhead, outstanding NBA player, finals champion. Yeah, his career was cut short. Bad feet. When you're tall, things get hurt more often. And I that's only anecdotally. Of course, I have no idea because I'm not tall. I'm like Altuve's height. Altuve's not 5'6", by the way. Little nugget. He's my size. I've met him. Unless I'm 5'6". I may start saying I'm 5'6", but I'm not. So Zion, when you draft him and you pay him, you get worried about him. And his knees hurt. The NBA panics. What do you do now? You have six to eight weeks without him. Starting tonight, the Pelicans against the Raptors, the two biggest teams were Zion against Kawhi Kawhi Leonard. Neither of them are there. What's the interest exactly in that game? Just because the Raptors won the title last year? Just because they're raising the banner? Just because they're going to have gold, velociraptor markings on their warm-up jackets? Does that drive ratings? Not at all. Watching the Pelicans without Zion, does that interest anybody? Not at all. The game that interests everyone is the one that's being played at 10.30 Eastern time. So right now they're in the league offices, very worried about the future of not just New Orleans, but the future of Zion himself. Ooh, we get to talk about uh, Fan Guide, but before we do, there's been breaking news during this show that is absolutely phenomenal, and you're hearing it here, third, fourth, fifth, maybe 10th, but for me, it's breaking. What do you not want when you're in the World Series and you're the owner of a team or the president of a team? There's one word, what you want to avoid at all costs, and don't say getting swept, because that's two words. The one word you want to avoid is called distraction. Avoid all distractions. We talk to our players. Don't get arrested. That's not the breaking news. Don't do anything that will cause undue attention to our team. Focus on the field. Control your family. Control your friends. Control your narrative. We say that to players. My bad. We forgot to say it to executives. The Astros are up to their ears in distraction. They had to release two, not one, two statements following statements that were released yesterday. When you've got a PR story that's a crisis PR story and you're releasing multiple statements, fire your PR agency. Fire your internal PR people because you've done it wrong. So here's what happened and here's the story. The Houston Astros win the series against the Yankees, and an assistant general manager named Brandon Taubman, Houston's got very talented individuals, he's in the clubhouse, they're celebrating, and he is so vociferously excited that during the celebration, for a reason that escapes my understanding, he yells, thank God we got Osuna. I am so effing glad we got Osuna. For those listening to the podcast, who's Osuna? He's their closer who was suspended 75 games last year for a domestic violence violation. He was accused, not charged, of violence against his girlfriend, mother of his child, when he was a member of the Blue Jays. He was then traded to the Astros in a very controversial trade. He was traded to the Astros 
Ken Giles, the Astros closer, was traded to the Blue Jays. So in comes Osuna into the Astros clubhouse last year. Teammate, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, the man who speaks out against everything. He speaks about the juiced balls. He speaks out about the steroids. He doesn't want anyone doing steroids. Justin, side note, if you don't want anyone doing steroids, then tell your union to allow a lifetime ban and avoiding of guaranteed contracts for anyone who tests positive. But I digress until another show. The third thing Verlander's against, as well as he should be, as well as everyone is and should be, is any sort of tolerance for any sort of domestic violence. It's intolerable. You do not raise your hand to a woman ever. I don't care if you're an athlete. I don't care if you're on drugs. I don't care anything. You don't do it. I don't care if you're being beaten up by someone. You go to duck and cover. You don't raise a hand ever. Osuna does it. Suspended, traded, joins the Astros. Somehow the narrative becomes, it's okay, it passes. Does he get a second chance? I would argue he gets more than a second chance. So what happens is, in the clubhouse, Brandon Taubman says that quote that we got Osuna. He said it in the direction of three female reporters, one of whom was actually wearing a specific bracelet. It's hard to tell. I don't blame Brandon for not seeing. I've been in a winning clubhouse. You can't see anything. You've got champagne in your eyes. Although they now wear goggles, which just makes them wussies. But she was wearing a bracelet, one of the women who overheard this against domestic violence. It became a very large story. And the Astros denied it, saying how irresponsible it was for Sports Illustrated, which is still breaking stories, I guess. I didn't know what happened to the magazine since they got purchased. Still breaking stories. The Astros denied it. Unfortunately, they couldn't deny it because it actually happened. Mr. Taubman did say those words in the general direction of three different women. So then today, just as we're going to air, out it came. Two more statements, including one from an assistant GM which you never do. We've never had our assistant GM give a statement, maybe on a waiver claim when we wanted to just throw him a bone. But otherwise, you never hear any quotes from an assistant GM. And a statement? No. Which means this was completely workshopped. It was written for him by the Astros crisis PR people. Brendan Talman didn't write this because I'm hoping he has better grammar. The grammar mistakes in this statement are shocking but it was put together because they realized that this was becoming a huge distraction. MLB called the owner of the Astros, I guarantee you this is how it happened, and said, hey, listen, Jim Crane, you gotta do something about this. This is the World Series. This is where we make our money as an industry. We have all the VIPs in Houston, and all anyone's talking about is your goddamn assistant general manager, and that's how they would say it, just like that. Maybe worse words. So the statement reads as follows. This past Saturday, during our clubhouse celebration, I used inappropriate language for which I am deeply sorry and embarrassed. In retrospect, I realized that my comments were unprofessional and inappropriate. My over-exuberance in, in support of a player has been misinterpreted as a demonstration of a regressive attitude about an important social issue. Did you get that mouthful? This is written by a professional. My over-exuberance in support of a player has been misinterpreted 
as a demonstration of a regressive attitude about an important social issue. Osuna, in Game 6, had blown the save. He gave up a home run to DJ LeMahieu. He got bailed out by his offense, Jose Altuve, who hit a two-run walk-off home run against Aroldis Chapman, the closer who'd also been suspended, by the way, for the New York Yankees. So why in the clubhouse I'd be hugging Ozuna, I'd be spraying champagne on him, but I certainly, let me get the quote, I'm going to get it exact again, thank God we got Osuna. I'm so effing glad we got Osuna. There's no other way to interpret that statement. You're not saying that because, thank God, he blew the save. He didn't even get the save. Thank God he got the save. Thank God we got him. Ken Giles may have been just as good. It's possible they could have closed with Harris or Presley, although Presley had been hurt. I just don't know why you poke the bear if you are the assistant GM. Clearly, he didn't mean to, because it then goes on. Those that know me, in, in English you say those who know me. Those, I'm going to say who, know me, know that I'm a progressive and charitable member of the community and a loving and committed husband and father. I don't know what being a progressive member of the community is, so I don't know why the PR department and the crisis PR team chose progressive. I think what he meant to say is that he's very hip in terms of all the social issues, so he definitely is not in favor of domestic violence. Do you have to be progressive not to be in favor of domestic violence? I'm gonna have to think about that as I keep reading. I hope those who know me do know me understand that the Sports Illustrated article does not reflect who I am or my values. I am sorry if anyone was offended, if anyone were offended, by my actions. I think it's a horrific statement, but then the Astros had to double down because MLB made Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, do a whole nother statement after the Astros had done a statement before. But here's the difference, and it's subtle, but we did it with the Marlins. People do it all over sports. Some statements come from the team. Some statements come from the team's spokesman. Some statements come from the owner through a team spokesman. This one came from the owner. Through the owner. Not the GM. Not the team president. This is the owner. And not through his spokesman. The Astros continue to be committed to using our voice to create awareness and support on the issue of domestic violence. I can't blame them for that first sentence. They've certainly created awareness because we're all talking about it on the eve of World Series Game 1. We not only ensure mandatory training annually for all of our employees, that's actually mandatory for everyone in baseball, as set forth by Major League Baseball, we have also created an important partnership with the Texas Council on Family Violence and have raised over $300,000 through our initiatives to help various agencies providing important support for this cause. We have raised over $300,000. We traded for Osuna. We pay him millions. We have partnerships, right? If you look at the train in the... the uh, <coughs> Remember to hit the cough button. In Houston, they've got the train at Minute Maid Park. Under that train, they have core partners, they call them. 
These are major partnerships. 300 grand in MLB, the Houston Astros, that's not even a big donation. We fully support MLB and baseball's stance and values regarding domestic violence. That last sentence is written by MLB, and I'm going to explain to you how it changes. When a player gets suspended for drug use, the last sentence always reads, we fully support MLB and baseball's Joint Drug Prevention Act. When it's a domestic violence suspension, we fully support MLB and baseball's stance and values regarding domestic violence. If it's someone dying of opioids, when those tests start, this last sentence will change to read opioids. Anything that MLB is doing, the last sentence has to be from the owner supporting MLB because we are a franchise of MLB. Why is this statement so crazy and ridiculous to me? It doesn't say anything. He is not doing anything about his assistant GM who said the comment. He's not apologizing to the women in the locker room. He's not apologizing for the behavior of his closer. The purpose of this statement was to try to cut the distraction off at the head. What this statement actually does is make it even bigger. But guess where you're not going to hear about this? On the Fox broadcast tonight. Wait to see. That's not my wait to see segment, but you just wait to see whether they're going to cover this very important issue that matters. I would take the under. These type of distractions that happen are not good for baseball. They're not good for anybody involved. And it's just one of the things that happened during the World Series when you've got responsibilities. What do players do during the World Series? They're getting ready tonight. It's right now, afternoon of game one. You get to the ballpark early. You definitely want to get out of the hotel if you're the Nationals. You want to get into the clubhouse. The Astros clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse is not as cramped as some others. You want to get some food. You want to try to be in your regular routine as though it's a regular, simple road game. The difference is you also have media responsibilities. The managers have to meet with the media. The starting pitchers meet with the media the day before. You've got media on the field. The number of credentials given on the field is way greater than it's ever been during any regular season or any playoff round. So as a player, the critical thing that you have to do is be in touch with your community relations department and your public relations manager. They are telling you where you have to be. So how does it literally work? We get a list, and the list we get is that Fox or CBS or any network wants an interview with the player. They want to do a commercial with the player. So what they do is they say, hey, we're going to want Justin Verlander, and we're going to want him to hold the trophy and say, we want this back in Houston, as an example. Because the the marketing companies come up with the ads, they have to submit a list of player requests to MLB. MLB gives that list to the teams. The team, a guy not very junior level of the team, goes to the player and says, listen, they're shooting a commercial. We need you from 337 to 341 on Monday, and you're going to film this spot. The player gets all his requests and then decides what he's going to do. You don't want to say no to these because you're trying to build your brand. And I've had plenty of players who have said no to me with stuff when they've been asked, and I don't understand why. 
It's good for the fans. It's good for baseball, but it's also good for you. Do you ever wonder why baseball players have fewer Twitter followers than the NBA or the NFL, the superstars? Because they don't market themselves enough, and this is their opportunity to do it, especially during the World Series. But it definitely causes a bit of chaos in your routine, and baseball is a complete routine sport. So you've got the responsibilities of appearances, you've got media before and after games, much more so than you would normally have, but it's all absolutely laid out. And when you're a player, that's just part of what you have to do. You have to put blinders on and put earmuffs on in order to get through this World Series and play up to your capabilities. God, for those of you who are loyal listeners to the pod, I really hope that you smiled when I discussed earmuffs. Did you? Because it was funny. Listen to some previous episodes if you didn't. Well, in honor of baseball, World Series, I'm gonna give you my list today of my top five baseball movies. Now, I've had a lot of, I've seen a ton of great baseball movies and I love them all, but my top five all-time list, if you haven't seen this list, in opposite order. Number five, The Bad News Bears. Not the Billy Bob Thornton one, not the one in Japan, not the one in Houston breaking training. The original Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill. If you haven't seen it, it's got a young Jackie Earl, Haley, who actually has been in a lot of interesting, great movies. And as an adult, go see Bad News Bears. If you've never heard of Walter Matthau, or if you actually think Walter Matthau is the man from Grumpy Old Men, and that's how you associate him, go watch Bad News Bears right now. The original, number five. Number four, just a bit outside. Enough said, right? Serrano, Major League. That was actually filled, little known fact. Cleveland, right? It was filmed at County Stadium in Milwaukee. That is where it was filmed, and I actually knew some people who were in the scene at the end after they win. Major Leaguers, number four. Number three is a little-known movie, John Cusack called Eight Men Out. If you think we're having scandals now in baseball, you think drug use is a big deal, how about the White Sox who actually bet against themselves in the World Series? They're called the Black Sox because it was a black mark on baseball. It's a very fascinating movie. It's the third best baseball movie I've ever seen. My number two baseball movie, makes me cry every time. Don't be afraid to cry, even though there's no crying in baseball. It's called the League of Their Own. It's about the Women's Professional Baseball League. Believe it or not, during the war, when major league players were being drafted and going to the war, there was a professional women's baseball league, and these it was hardball, and it was overhand, hardball, the real deal. You've got Madonna in it, you've got Gina Davis, Lori Petty, it, David Strathern, it is a phenomenal movie. Gary Marshall, as the head of Mars Candy, started the league. He's the actor, director, Penny Marshall's brother. It's a great movie. But the star of it is actually one of my favorite actors of all time. The one who delivered the number one line in all of baseball. There is no crying in baseball. Tom Hanks. It's a top five Tom Hanks movie, League of Their Own, but it's the number two baseball movie. And number one is a movie that will always make me cry, even more than League of Their Own, I've watched it 50 times. Make fun of me all you want, because I know you will. It's called Field of Dreams. And why is that my favorite? Because it represents everything that could be true that isn't. And it's everything that you want to be true, but know it can't be. And you do find yourself going to that place in Iowa, believing in the impossible. Major League Baseball is actually gonna have a regular season game in the Field of Dreams next season. 
Well, my field of dreams, I went to the field of dreams and I spoke to the people who own it and then my nightmare happened. I learned that two families used to own it. They each owned half of the field of dreams and they fought like dogs and cats. I went there to see if a dream could come true and it turns out it's all about business. Well, we're up to the wait and see part of the show and uh, this is a good one for you. We got the Lakers and Clips going. You know Steve Ballmer, the owner. You know they brought in Leonard. They brought in George whenever he's healthy. The way to see is, who's going to win the title first? Los Angeles Lakers or Los Angeles Clippers? We've got people here in the office, including my friend Ruben, who's 10 feet away from me, who will go to the mat telling you the Lakers will win a title before the Clippers. Well, my way to say is, nope, LeBron James has won his last ring. The Clippers will win the title before the Los Angeles Lakers. Now I get to make a pick for you all, and it's my favorite pick because whatever I pick, I would prefer you to go the other way because I am undefeated if you do that. Fade me, and I mean right now, fade me. But I'm taking the Clippers, I'm watching the game, I'm getting two and a half points against the Lakers, I don't care that Paul George isn't there, I think that we don't have LeBron and Davis on the same page, it's too early in the season, the Clippers have something to prove. Take the Clippers, take the two and a half points, and I've got a bonus pick for you to make up in case I lose that one. The Astros will win. I can promise you that. Thanks for listening to Nothing Personal, but you gotta remember, no matter what, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.